Well, you know, we are starting our brand new series this month, the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. I'm really excited about sharing this book. What, the book of Daniel is kind of an amazing book. It's, it's the book of Daniel. You can divide the book of Daniel in half. The first half of the book of Daniel, we're going to be exploring this month. The, book of, the first half. Next year, hopefully, we'll be getting into the second half of the book of Daniel. So you have to wait for that next year in 2022. Wow, that's just around the corner. 2022. Oh my gosh, just getting through 2021. But anyway, so we're going to be focusing on the first half of the book of Daniel. Which the, the first half is really about Israel when Israel weren't in Israel. <laughs> Where the Babylonians came, King Nebuchadnezzar, they came and they besieged Israel, the southern kingdom, Judah, and they took them into captivity. They took them out of there. In fact, they did three, they did in the three lots of raids. The third time they went in there, they totally destroyed the temple. And here we are. We're looking at the at the first part when they initially went in and they took. This is the first part of the story, the story of Daniel. And what's really amazing, I was just thinking, I was just thinking. You know, if you told someone, if you told someone that you are a Christian and they're not a Christian, they don't go to church. If you told someone that you are a Christian, sometimes it can be very uncomfortable. Right? Especially when they reply to something like, oh, you're one of those. Right? You ever had those? When you, when you told someone you're a Christian, they just looked, they kind of rolled their eyes. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Right? And it can be kind of uncomfortable, especially when sometimes Christians can be perceived as a bunch of bigots that are clinging onto some fairy tale out there. Right? I, I remember when I first started work as a 20, year, 20 years old young fella, just a young fella. I remember starting working at the International Mail Center at the Auckland International Airport, and I was assigned to work with this senior guy, one of the most senior guys at the International Mail Center, and um, just me and him for the, this night shift. And I remember his very first words to me, he found out I was a Christian. And this is literally what he said to me. He said, so you're a Christian. Do you know what I think about Christians? I'm thinking, not really, I don't really want to know. And he said, this is what I think about Christians. I think Christians are the biggest blinking Backstabbers, the biggest blinking hypocrites, the biggest blinking liars. In fact, the, the reason why there's so much issues and trouble in the world is because of blinking Christians. And I was like, well, hello to you too. Right? But isn't it amazing that here we are, in, and, and, and especially in a society that declares that, that tolerance is our banner. We are all about tolerance, right? This is what society says, puts it out there. We're all about tolerance, unless you're a Christian, <laughs> right? Isn't it kind of ironic that this, the world puts out there that, that it's all about being tolerant to one another, but it's really ironic that the world really, the society really isn't tolerant towards Christians. And, you know, we can find ourselves in a bit of a dilemma, especially when society, we, society confronts us with a belief system that seems so different to everything that we believe in. I mean, how do we live in a world where truth is always changing? Right? Because, because the world that my grandfather lived in, the world that my father grew up in, the, the truth that, that that society believed in is so different to today. Because in our, in our society, truth shifts. Truth changes. Truth is relative. So how do we live in a world where truth is always changing? Because as Christians, we find ourselves in a dilemma. I mean, what do you do when you're trying to stay true to God's word that never changes? When society is trying to pull us in a totally different direction. You know, it's really interesting. When we read the book of Daniel, that's exactly what Daniel and his friends, what they came, up, uh, came across. 
So if you're looking for a message for today's mis- title for today's message, it's this, the Daniel Dilemma. The Daniel Dilemma. So let's open up book of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 1. Let's get into it. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. This is it. They're coming in and they're going to be uh, taking the, the Jews into captivity, into Babylon. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the artifacts from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So here he is. Nebuchadnezzar comes in. This is the first raid. And he takes with him all the, all the, um, the ritual furniture in the temple. And he takes it back to his own temple, but to his own his, his own gods and, and puts it in, in, in that temple. Verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. So all the Jewish people, you know, all the, Jewish, all the common people, they can serve as slaves, but bring, bring to me all, the, all those with royal bloodlines, the smart ones, the, the talented ones, the ones with good education. They can come and serve me personally in his courts. Verse 4, young man without physical defect. Here's, here's the thing when you're reading the Bible. The, the Bible is meditation literature, right? It's, 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 it's not actually a, um, a guidebook. It isn't like this is, we just follow this. It's actually meditation literature, meaning that we, we meditate on Scripture. And sometimes we, we open the Bible, we don't understand it. That's okay. But as we begin to meditate and allow God to speak to you, and, and, uh, and all, you begin to see truths that you can see in your life today. But when we begin to meditate on Scripture, and when we get familiar with Scripture, we begin to see a design pattern. We begin to see words that, wow, I, I remember this word. It's right here. So when we read this word without any physical defect, and straight away you're thinking, oh, I remember when God gave the law to the children of Israel at, at Mount Sinai. He said, when the priests come to serve me in the temple or in the tabernacle, they've got to be without defect. And when you bring animals and sacrifice them before me, there must be animals without defect because they used to sacrifice these animals so, so they can cleanse people that come before God's presence. So here we have Daniel and his friends being described as, as priests or as sacrificial animals that come before God. And we keep reading, young men without any physical defect, handsome, <laughs> showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed. I was going to say something about handsome, but I'll just keep going. Handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. What we also notice in that passage, these words pop out like wisdom, like, right? Uh, having wisdom and being good of sight, handsome, good of sight. And so, so straight again, we begin to see design patterns again. I was like, well, where else do we see wisdom and good of sight, good to the eye? Where else do we see that? Oh, remember the Garden of Eden? What do we find in the Garden of Eden? We find Eve, the woman. What did she see? She saw the forbidden fruit. It was good of sight, right? And, and she took of it. She took of this forbidden fruit. Why? To gain wisdom. To gain wisdom. And then there's also a design pattern pu- pushing us towards the story of Joseph. If you're familiar with the story of Joseph, Joseph finds himself as a slave. And he's in Potiphar's house. And what do we find there? Potiphar's wife. And Joseph becomes the forbidden fruit. Where Potiphar's wife sees the forbidden fruit and it's good to her eye. And so, so she desires it. 
and she takes it. And so these, these, are, these are design patterns. And, and, and this is what we begin to read this into the story. And we've got this in our mind. We've got this forbidden fruit. We've got, we've got uh, taking of this bit of this, this test that is there. Let's keep reading. Let's go to verse, verse 5. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some, of the, some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now, when I was becoming Christian, we had this, I learned this poem to help me remember their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's make the bed, shake the bed, and in the bed you go. Yeah, or what was it? Shake the bed, make the bed, and in the bed you go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There you go. It's a little, one, it's a little tip I'm giving to help you remember. Shake the bed, make the bed, and in the bed you go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anyway, let's get back to the story. <laughs> Here's the thing. The first thing that society will try to do to you is to change your identity. What's the first thing that they did? They changed their names. They had these Jewish names, that, 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 these beautiful Jewish names that, that, that pointed towards God. And they changed their name, tried to change their identity. The king of Babylon knew the way to take a generation is to feed it a new image. A new image. It's to feed it a new image. Think about it. What's the purpose of an image? The purpose of an image is to hold you captive. Captive. Think about it. That's the purpose. Any image you see. If it's, if it's pleasing to the eye, your eyes are fixated on it. It, it, it takes you captured. Kept, it takes you captive. Get these words to get captive. What holds you captive today? What's holding your focus today? You know what's really interesting? Our smartphones, look for my smartphone. Our smartphones have connected us and disconnected us at the same time. We've never been connected and disconnected like never before. Think about it. We, we, I can now, I'm connected right across the world on my phone, and at the same time, it disconnects us. See, there was a time when you would go to the doctor's office, sit in the waiting room, right? There was a time when, when you sit in the waiting room, and what would you do? You would have a chat with the person next to you, right? Or anywhere in the fish and chip shop. You have a yarn to the person there. Hey, how's it going? How's your day? What do we find today? We, we're in some kind of waiting room. Now we've got the mask on. What's everyone doing? They're on their phones. No, there's no conversations anymore. We're just, we're captive. How captive this image is holding us captive. And we are so consumed by our smartphones that we're not aware of the real need that's around us. The need that's going on around us, we, we are consumed by it. It takes our attention. It's held us captive that we, aren't, we, are, we all get to just lift our eyes from our smartphones and we'll be able to see the need that's in our community. We're so consumed, so consumed. We get so obsessed with TikTok. Anybody consumed with TikTok? Oh, I don't know why I put my hand up. I don't know. <laughs> Anyone consumed with TikTok? We're so consumed with TikTok, social media, having more likes, follows, and friends. And yet at the same time, we feel more lonely than ever before. The pressure of trying to live the perfect Pinterest life, it's tearing at the fabric of who we are. See, a lot of us are living by, by a script of an identity. But that is not the one that God has written for you. Did you know that? You know, we can't let society tell us who we are. We can't let uh, society determine who we are. It's, it's think about even today, like how truth has changed, right? Now look at that, like our passports. 
You, you can now, you can be, a, you can be a, a male, female, or whatever you want. Birth certificates are changing. When, when society shifts, truth shifts. But the word of God never shifts. Society will try to change your identity. But you are not what, a, what society is telling you who you are. We need to allow God to tell us who we are based upon absolute truth of his word. His word that never changes. When culture shifts, we must know who we are. Come on, know who you are. You are not what the world is saying about you. You are not who the, what the world is saying you are. You are what God says you are. Come on, let's get to verse 8. Then Daniel resolved, he made up his mind. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Why? Why? Because of royal food and the, and, and, and the wine, this was non-kosher. When God gave Israel the law, when he set them apart, at Mount Sinai, when Moses led them through the, world, uh, through the Red Sea, gives them a law, and, and it gives them the, the purpose of the law was to set them apart from all the other nations around them. This was the purpose of the law. It wasn't follow these laws and you can get to heaven. That was not the purpose of the law. The law was to set them apart. And part of the law was kosher food. You got you to you do things differently, and you got you to eat differently, separate to everyone else. And, and, by the, and my law is good. Let me tell you that when people see the way you treat each other and how you worship me, and should draw all nations to you, become a priest to the world. You're a nation of priests. This is the purpose of the law. And they had kosher food. Like, uh, you don't, like don't eat pork. Don't eat pork. Pork is a no-no, right? And so here's the thing. If you've got food that's non-kosher, you can eat lamb, but if, if you've got lamb and pork on the same table, now you've defiled the pork. Now you've defiled the lamb. And so here they are now in the king's palace. And on the table is pork and lamb on the same table. Now it's defiled. Now it's become forbidden. And this is kosher foods. This is kosher foods, right? But Daniel resolved, made up his mind not to defile himself by eating this, this, this non-kosher food. Foods been, they've been sacrificed to demons and, and uh, um, to other gods, right? Not to defile himself with the raw food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So the second thing that society will try to do is make you compromise your standard. That's what society will do. We'll try to make you compromise your standard. Have you felt the pressure of compromise? Have you felt like there's something going on in society that's forcing you to compromise your standard, compromise the Word of God? Right? And it's all the time. Oh, you know what? Before you get married, just live together. That's what society said. This is truth. But it forces us, do we stay, stand firm to the word of God or do we compromise our standards? Because, because the truth has changed, but God's word never changed. So society will try to make you compromise your standard. I love how, how courteous Daniel is. I love how courteous he is. He doesn't make a demand. He goes, oh, I'm not going to eat your dang food. I'm not going to eat you bunch of heathens. You all can just go to hell. He doesn't do that, right? What does he do? He's, 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 got, he's, got, he's courteous. But he's, he's got courtesy and courage. Courtesy and courage at the same time. And I love this because this is how we as believers, this is what defines us, sets us apart to everyone else, right? When we come across someone with a different belief system, someone who believes something else to them, it's always show, be courteous. Show courage, yes, but also be courteous at the same time, right? What's really interesting, and sometimes it saddens my heart. I, I, I just look at YouTube or whatever, YouTube, Facebook, social media, smartphones, you know, 
and, and, and people, you know, that, who's someone who has a different opinion to them, and they're just so nasty to them. They're just so nasty. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Come on. Read the book of Daniel. Come on. You can be, show courage what you believe in, but also with courtesy. Daniel begins to show us a better way. This is, how you, this is how you begin to live in a society that pushes against you. Always show courage, yes, but also with courtesy. Verse 9. Now God had caused the officials to show favor and compassion to, to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned you your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king will have my head because of you. Now, this Ashpenaz, he's more frightened of the king than he is of Daniel. So the third thing that society will try to do is create a confrontation. Society will try to cre- create a confrontation. Whether you want it or not, it's coming your way. <laughs> like my first day at work. So you're a Christian, right? Whether you like it or not, confrontation will come your way. Your faith is going to be tested <laughs> through a conversation or, or, some, or through someone or something. But it's going to set up some kind of confrontation. And you'll find, you'll find yourself not ready for it if you're not equipped with God's word. Daniel was equipped with God's word. So you, you won't be ready for it if you're not equipped with God's word, which is why we have the Bible, which is why we have the church. Verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, Shake the bed, make the bed, and in the bed you go. And I love this because remember I talked about these design patterns, right? It's, it's, it's all hyperlinking to the test in the Garden of Eden. What's the test in the Garden of Eden? Is, is don't eat the forbidden food that's, that's, that's of good sight, right? That's desirable. Don't eat of the forbidden fruit. And uh, so here we have Daniel. What test is before him? There's this forbidden fruit, but Daniel won't eat it. Right? This, is, this, is, this is what's got to be in our mind when we think, think of the Garden of Eden and this test. Verse 12. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables. And in Hebrew, it's actually the word for uh, seed-bearing plants. Seed-bearing plants, which is also hyperlinks to Genesis, when God creates all seed-bearing plants. But vegetables to eat and water to drink, then compare our appearance with that of the young man who eat the royal food. We eat all the, the KFC that's on the table and the Big Mac and all this, but just give me those seeds. Forget about the KFC. I want the seeds. Uh, the tree, uh, the raw food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this, and he tested them for 10 days. But I still, I still love the courtesy of Daniel. I love what he says. Please test your servants. Please test your servants. Showing courtesy. He's not demanding it. Oh, I've got a right. I've, this is my right. And how dare you do my rights? You know what I love? You know, I, I, um, on Friday, I, I was on an international connect group. We've got an international connect group within our church. And I'll just, Tura, who's uh, watching this, Tura and, and Ruby, and Tura and Ruby were sharing about Myanmar. They're from Burma. And they're just telling us that in, in Myanmar, that 100, in their state, their state is a Chin state, and it's a Christian state. They're saying that over 165 houses have been burned down. Churches have been burned. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, we have so much freedom here in New Zealand. We have so much freedom. Here we are, we've had, we can have church, we can have communion together, we can meet out in the park. We have so much freedom, and yet around the world people are suffering. They have no freedom. 
You know, we've got to count our blessings right where we are. You know, we just be aware. Be aware of the real need that's around us. What's hold us captive? You know, this, this is my right. And I love Daniel. He's so courteous. He said, please test your servant. Doesn't demand it. I've got a right. He said, please test. Please test your servant. I love that. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food. They took away the KFC. <laughs> he took away that Big Mac. Took away the choice food and the wine they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables. Come on. Give me those seeds. Vegetables instead. I love this because, you know, the food that Daniel and them were eating, this, this was the diet given to Adam and Eve in the garden, Right? See, Daniel, when you read this, you, you meant to look at Daniel. Daniel is the new Adam. He is the new Adam. But unlike Adam who failed the test, but this new Adam passes the test, right? He won't eat the forbidden food. Instead, he will eat what God assigned to him. What did God assign? Seed-bearing plants. Well, it's amazing that, that Daniel is not in the Garden of, of Eden. Where is, where is Daniel? Daniel is in the anti-Eden. Babylon. When you read the Bible, when you begin to see the, the, the stories all connected, Babylon will become the anti-Eden all the way to the book of Revelations. He's in the anti-Eden, but he's still passing the test. Verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. So those studying exams, I encourage you to eat your vegetables. Okay, anyway, okay let's carry on. <laughs> and, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring into his service, which was three years, which is interesting, Jesus had three years before his test, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah. Make the bed, shake the bed, in the bed you go. And they entered the king's service. So in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times. <laughs> they were tested for 10 days, and he found them 10 times. better. This is not a coincidence. These, these are design patterns we're meant to read into. 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in this whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first, king, until the first year of King of Cyrus. So this is when the Persians came in, and they conquered the Babylon. This is later on, 70 years later. The book of Daniel, when we read the book of Daniel, it's a book of tests. Like when you read chapter after chapter, we'll begin to see this test after test after test. And for some of us, we're like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for that. And again, that's why we need God. That's why we have, have our Bibles. This is why we need the church. Come on, this is why we need our Bibles. So what does this all mean to me, right? This is what you're watching this. What does this mean to me? What does all that mean? Here's the thing. When society shifts, we must respond in the right way. We must respond in the right way. And by and large, many of us don't respond in the right way. Just, have, just go to social media. Many of us don't respond the right way. In fact, there are two extremes. There's two extremes in how we can respond, and both of them are wrong. Okay? The first extreme First extreme, we're like, well, I know what I know, right? We respond when we come, when we come against someone that has a different belief system to us. We, the, the, one extreme is this, well, I know what I know, right? 
I'm right and you're wrong. And I don't care if you're going to hell because I'm right and you're wrong. And you can just go to hell then. That's your problem. It's not my problem. That's your problem. And here's the thing. Technically, you are right. <laughs> but here's the thing. Is it very helpful? Are you very helpful to that person? Are you helping that person, right? Are you helping? Well, well if you're not helping that person, then, 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 even in your, then you're wrong even in your rightness. Because God never called us to be right. He called us to be effective. That's exactly what Daniel did. God never called us to be right. He called us to be effective. When you're talking to your friends, when you're talking to somebody that has a different view to you, are you, are you, are you this extreme? Just as long as you're right, but are you effective? Then you've got the other extreme. This is one extreme. Then we can go the other way. We can flip the coin just like that, where it's like, you don't need to change. Just come. Don't change. You're fine. God loves everybody, right? Just come. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you sleep with your girlfriend. It's all good. It's all good in the hood. It doesn't matter what you do. Just come. God loves you. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Well, actually, it does matter. Actually, it does. And here's the thing. In the name of love, there's a generation of Christians now sitting inside the Bible because they think they love people more than God does. And that's not right either. Because you can't move God's truth. You can't move God's truth. So what do we do, right? Well, I personally believe there's a balance of the two. The balance of the two, and we've got to do what Daniel did. Or better yet, what Jesus did. And I, I, in fact, I love the way Jesus responds because I want to show you a pattern of how Jesus began to affect his, his society that he was in. He was in a society that pushed against him, but he was able to affect, he was able to affect that, that, that society by doing two things. And I can show you stories after stories after stories within the Bible what Jesus did, and he always did these two things. I love what John chapter 1, verse 14 says when describing who Jesus is. He says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. But get this. Full of what? Full of grace and truth. So much easier when you've got an audience so they can reply back to you, right? I'm imagining you're saying this to your screen right now. Full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of both. Grace and truth. Both. I love that. What's Truth. Truth is God's standard. It's God's standard. What's God's standard? It's the Word of God. It doesn't change. It's absolute truth. It never changes. Some people say, well, there's no such thing as, as absolute truth. And I say, are you absolutely sure? Anyway. <laughs> you know what? We, we love every single person in Hamilton. We love every single person in the mighty Waikato. Every single person is welcome to Hamilton Elam. But we also believe that God's word is perfect, is perfect and true. Come on. And we will not budge on that fact. God's word is perfect and truth, and we will not budge on God's word. God's word doesn't change. Society might change, but God's word never changes. 
But at the same time, you can't just stay there because then no one will qualify, right? Which is why we need God's grace. We need God's grace. God's grace is God's favor. God's grace is God's favor. He favors you when you weren't favorable. He died for you when you're still spitting in his face. Come on. He loves you. He loves you. He loves sinners, but he won't let you stay the same. But he loves you just as you are. See, without grace, we can become judgmental, right? We can become so judgmental. And I think that's why the world is is sick of the church sometimes. Because sometimes we do a terrible job of it. We, we go to this, these extremes and, and sometimes the, the world feels condemned by the church. I do feel, I feel that it happens at time. But you know, what? We, we never have to forgive someone more than how Christ has forgiven us. Here's the thing. Truth without grace is mean. Truth without grace is mean. Well, I'm right, you're wrong. I don't care if you go to hell. Right? So, and it's, for some Christians, this is, it gives you, oh, well, you know, I'm, uh, it gives you permission to be nasty. It gives you, give you, gives you permission to be mean. Well, this is what his word says. So I have the right to be mean. I have the right to talk to them like that because that's what he says. Truth without grace is mean. But grace without truth is meaningless. Grace without truth is meaningless. Oh, it just, you can do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. You can just live the way you live. Your, you live, you live however you want. When you, which is which is crazy. Well, your life looks no different than anyone else out there. There's no difference. Come on, it's, your life becomes meaningless. What's the difference? Grace without truth is meaningless. But if you put it together, truth and grace is good medicine. Truth and grace is good medicine. Come on. This is what heals you. And this is, this is what I believe believers should be living. We should be living with grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth is good medicine. This is how we should be living. Grace invites us to be free, right? Invites us to be free. Because, you know, God says, come, come, come to me. You are welcome here just as you're, even despite what you did last night, despite what you did this morning, come to me. You are welcome in my presence. This is what grace says. Come to me. No matter what you did, come to me. But truth sets us free. Grace invites us to be free. Truth sets us free. I'm no longer slave to these things. Truth has set me free. See, we don't change God's word. We let God's word change us. See, it's not my job to change you. God does that. All I am is just a signpost. I'm just pointing you this way. But it's God who does the transformation. Come as you are. Come as God loves you. Loves you just as you are. But when you sit in his presence, he will change you. Let God's word change you. It sets you free. Free from addictions. Free from hardship. He will set you free. Grace invites you to be free. Truth sets you free. Come on. I love it in John. What we find in John 8, we find this woman caught in adultery. And they're trying to trap Jesus. Because according to their law, according to truth, according to their law, according to truth, right? She should be put to death. That's what truth says. 
Truth says you should be put to death. According to law, you should be put to death. And they're trying to trap him. And they're saying, hey, Jesus, what should we do here? But, but Jesus says these incredible words. He, he said, well, let anyone who has not sinned cast the first stone. That's, that's what Jesus says. Let anyone who has not sinned cast the first stone. And what do they do? All the accusers leave. Right? Let's pick up the story in verse 10. I love what happens next. Jesus straightens up and asks, asks the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. I love this. Watch, watch, watch this. Love what happens next. I love what Jesus does next. Because this is how we should respond. We should respond how Jesus responds. He says, then neither do I condemn you. It's grace. Shows a grace. The law says you must be put to death. He shows grace. Neither do I condemn you. You're welcome here. You're welcome in my presence. But he doesn't just leave it there. I love what he Then he goes, Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Truth. Grace and truth. You are, you are welcome. I love you just as you are. Come on. But I love you too much for you to stay the same and allow God's truth to change you, to be free of addictions, to be free of destructive habits that have been destroying your life. Not just your life, but you can see it in your, in your fathers and your father's fathers. Come on. Let the truth of God begin to transform your life and break you free. Truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. This is what we've got to hold tightly together. Truth without grace is mean. But grace without truth is meaningless. Truth and grace is good medicine. Come on. See, I'm, I'm calling our church, I'm calling you to hold high the Word of God. God's Word is truth. Let us hold it high. We are not going to change God's Word for society's sake or anyone's sake. But at the same time, we are going to freely give God's grace to everyone who needs it. You know, I started this message with my work colleague questioning me being a Christian. And this was my answer to him. I said to him, you know, you are right. I know this is true because I am the biggest hypocrite. I am the biggest liar. I, you're looking at the biggest backstabber right here. But this is why I'm going to church. Because I want to do something about it. I want to change. Then I looked him directly in his eyes and I said, so what are you doing to change? When I, grace and truth. Grace is, I'm just like you. I'm struggling. But I'm doing something with truth. What are you doing about it? You know, this work colleague, of this senior work colleague, we would go on to be close friends and he would become my mentor. And when it came to bringing in a new team leader for the International Mail Center, he was the one who endorsed me. And I became the youngest team leader at the International Mail Center all those years ago, <laughs> back when I was young. Truth without grace is mean. Don't let, come on, 
don't let this be an excuse to be nasty or mean to someone. Well, I know the truth. And at the same time, grace without truth is meaningless. Got to hold up the Word of God. It never changes. Speak life into the situation. Because truth and grace is good medicine. Come on, let us pray.